Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Sorry. Good evening. Uh, welcome to the NASCAR Stop Child Abuse um, Now Dan Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCAR is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Annie. And uh, Hi. we are on school number 3119. And I'm excited to introduce our special guest this evening. Oh, first, I'm going to tell you a little about, about NASCA. We have a single purpose at NASCA, which is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboos and disgusting childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3119. And if you'd like to be a part of the panel this evening, please call 646-595-2118. And my co-host, Annie, will meet you on the back line and ask if you'd like um, to ask a question or have anything to say. We'd love to have you join us and support our guests. I also want to let you know that we have Blog Talk Radio shows same time, 7 to 8.30 Central. So do your math on your own hours. <laughs> and... Uh, um, it's Monday through Friday night uh, at the same time, so we, we'd like to invite you to come. And also, if you've got our website, NASCA.org, we um, have a lot of information on there. And we also um, have uh, peer support groups on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sundays that any adult survivors of child abuse can join in. And uh, we talk about issues of uh, recovery and healing. So, uh, our special guest this evening is Dr. Okay, I'm gonna say it wrong. <laughs> I'm Eve Romo from San Diego, an educator, consultant, author, and minister who promotes prevention and healing from child sexual abuse, particularly abuse by religious authorities or in the context of religious settings. A workbook he wrote, Healing the Sexually Abused Heart, is a workbook for survivors, thrivers, and supporters and it's an inter- integration of various uh, disciplines led I me mean, to become a certified traumatic incident reduction, which is TIR, facilitator. I mean, explains, well, it is no secret that I'm a 
survivor of clergy abuse, it's the journey of integration, transformation, and application that is most telling about my accomplishments and the life that I celebrate. Visit his website. On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survivor professionals, will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our calm participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that spring from questions topics brought to us by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on today's show, and please visit the NASCA, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot org website. Again, we are in scan number 3119. That means this is the 3,119th episode of the Child Abuse Now um, Blog Talk Radio Show. And so um, Dr. Jaime Romo is uh, our guest tonight. And hello there. How are you doing tonight? Hello, hello. Um, I'm, I'm in transition. I'm driving, but I will be... Mm-hmm. Uh, parked very soon, but uh, okay, it's kind of a good metaphor being in between. Oh yeah, okay, all right. Well, we're gonna this is your show, so we're gonna just let you take over. And uh, um, you mentioned you have a topic, or um, um, where would you like to get us started? Well, thank you. Um, it was strange that. Uh, in the beginning of the show, there was kind of overlapping soundtracks, and um, what what relates to you know what I wanted to discuss or open up tonight is uh, you know these different components of being um, call it a leader, you know, and taking our experience uh, and and finding it you know to be kind of a strength. If we if we go through some healing, and so um, the four elements are boundaries, authority, roles, and task. And for anybody to be effective, we have to really work with those. You know, sometimes very consciously, because if we don't, um, we can uh, have bad things happen. So. Um, that that overlapping soundtrack was reminding me of boundaries, you know, like it was confusing. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason I, I bring this topic is because my own experience certainly mentioned as an adolescent, uh, grew, grew up um, in a culture, a, a Mexican culture that really revered um, the clergy and, and uh, was very obedient, you know, compliant with adults and uh, so that made it you know, very, uh, I don't want to say easy, but you know, led to me being groomed and sexually abused. And I know there are different kinds of trauma, um, but when our bodies are um, compromised, those boundaries then can be really difficult to figure out. Um, and so often, whether it's a you know twelve step groups or you know, different people recovering from you know different kinds of you know, violence and abuse, um, I know boundaries are just foundational. You know we have to not have real real rigid boundaries, 
or really, really loose boundaries. Um, and, and so that's one area that I know I've, I've worked on and I'm not altogether, you know, have, I haven't altogether figured it all out um, mm-hmm. of how to have healthy boundaries. Because, uh, our guests didn't come on uh, Tuesday night, um, so uh, Annie have brought some uh, information actually on uh, uh, relationships after, um, you know, um, after be- growing up adult survivor of child abuse. And, and that was one that uh, we discussed was the boundaries. And, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting uh, article that, that we just read a couple paragraphs and then we discussed it, you know, because there's so much. So I, I really am interested yeah. in hearing the, about your perspective. And thanks for coming on. I don't yeah, think I said that. But the kids, I appreciate coming on and being our special guest tonight. Well, thank you. So that's that's one area, uh, and that alone, if we are clear about our boundaries, it, it protects us, and it protects really, you know, the work that we're trying to accomplish. Meaning, um, well, and let me so that can you explain? The, the next one. Can you explain what you're talking about when you say boundaries? Because when I first got you know, started my healing journey. And they mentioned boundaries. You know, they said, you need to start making some boundaries. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then they said a few words. And I said, oh, you mean this, this, and this, and this. And they said, no, you're talking about walls. We're talking about boundaries. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said, uh, what? <laughs> you know, and it took me a long time to even understand the concept of what a boundary was. Because that yeah. was something that was modeled to me, you know. And I surely wasn't given yeah. permission to set it free. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. That's uh, I appreciate, you know, like kind of breaking down, you know, getting more clarity about these different things. But, you know, there are different – it makes sense if we think of our own skin, you know, like it's a kind of a boundary. It protects us, but it, it lets, you know, certain things out, <laughs> sweat, and it lets certain things in as needed. Um and, and so it's not completely rigid, like closing off everything. Or another kind of boundary is like if someone calls on the phone or, you know, now we have caller ID. So sometimes, you know, if I don't recognize the number, I'll just like uh, block it or, you know, not answer it. That's, there's like a negotiation around, you know, can you come into my space? And, and if there's trust or you know, openness or shared interest or whatever, yeah. So even on a on the cell phone, there's kind of boundary management. Right? We don't. I don't think take every call. Uh, you know, what if we're in the middle of something? We have to like put a pause on taking in a new call. You know? So, um, so there are physical boundaries, of course. Um, you know, planes and trains run on a schedule usually, and so. Uh, you know, that's a tight boundary. There's not a lot of negotiation there. Um, and other times, depending on the social or call it culture, you know, it can be really loose. You know, people show up late and it's not a big They're not going to catch a flight. So there, there are time boundaries. There are physical you know, boundaries. There are kind of the boundaries between, you know, the ways that people have a boss, you know, and uh, so we have different jobs that we take up, you know, like everybody doesn't do everything. So there's all kinds of ways that we differentiate, you know,
know, it doesn't mean better than or less than. But, uh, you know, when, when people have been, at least in my experience, I think a lot of others have had some kind of abuse or, you know, trauma that kind of makes it confusing to, uh, to, to stand up for ourselves. And, and I think maybe that's where you're saying, you know, setting a hard boundary. Yeah. Uh, well, that's one kind, you know, but, and it may work in some situations, may be, you know, totally appropriate. Um, to have that be the only way, um, probably not as helpful. So that's, that's boundary. Um, authority is a big one, you know, for people to, in any, any job, I mean, there's certain authority. Um, and I grew up because of the abuse, like really mistrusting authority. And I think, you know, there's some value in questioning and pushing back and not just, you know, blindly following with someone who has a formal, you know, title or power over someone else. But um, uh, just to just to push back automatically, just to mistrust automatically uh, is not real helpful. And on the other side, um, well, on, on the other side, our own authority, you know, how do we take up our own authority knowing that we impact others? Um, right. That's a hard one to get to, I think, a lot of times. You know, we, we know how authority has been abusive towards us, but um, it's kind of harder to, to own, to see, and to, to really take in how we maybe used our authority in a way that uh, was hurtful to others. Um, and that's that's another big one, you know, that Im- yeah. is impacted by abuse and, and trauma because um, yeah. you may have like, me I had a very reactive. I have problems with authority issues, you know, or authority figures, you know. Um, the the one that I had was, um, you know, um, just just being afraid, you know, just like I go to the doctor and they say this or that, and I, I never questioned or I never even asked questions about it because, you know, I just didn't think I could, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or yeah. I quit classes because, you know, I was I was afraid of the person or I didn't, I was afraid to ask questions and like you said, you know, um, it it could be a real a real block in uh, um, trying trying to get your needs met too, you know. Um, yeah. I know people that have therapists and they're like, well, I can't quit my therapist because, or my psychiatrist because they'll lock me up. You know, and I'm like, you have a right mm-hmm. to pick the therapist or a psychiatrist that you feel comfortable with. Oh, no. You know, it can be very, very confusing to, to get back your power or feel that you have any control yeah. sometimes. Yeah, that's, I, I agree uh, 100%. It's, you know, to go from feeling like we're powerless to take up actually a, a voice for ourselves, it's figuring out process. And I know um, it's not been quick, you know, to to, to appreciate to uh, and to work with others' authority as well as um, own our own and sometimes be able to speak to things that are uncomfortable. You know, for others, um, maybe uncomfortable for ourselves, but it's, it's in the, as, as you mentioned, having our own needs met. Um, 
So that is an area that gets really messed with when there's uh, trauma abuse. Um, and then roles, you know, the roles we take up. I think that's very complicated because, you know, any of us has a lot of different roles. I mean, relationships, you know, as maybe a parent or sibling and friend or maybe professionally in some way um, or, yeah, you know, and then we, or the person has a formal role in an organization and carry on that same way of acting or interacting with others in other settings, you know, like the role doesn't match the task, you know, and so if someone's a helper and they grew up with that and, and that's how the only tool they have, the only way they, they can take up a role, um, it, it doesn't work, you know, not everybody needs that help in that way. Um, yeah. Somebody's the. Well, I know when I, you know, when I had a job when I was a teenager, I, you know, I, I was being abused. And so when I got a job, I like fit into the job where, where the boss was abuser, you know, and, and, you know, he picked up on that with me and it just seemed to fit that, you know, that was just the way that things were. Um, and, and I didn't see that, you know, uh, being harassed by the boss or sexually abused by the boss. Was anything I had any problem with? Because I truly didn't have any problem with. And, you know, I was volunteering for a nonprofit organization when I was 15. Kids, kids in a in a poor neighborhood, and they were coming up to me and telling me they were abused. Well, I didn't know how to stop my abuse, so you know, I didn't know what to do for them either. And yeah, I think it's very, very, you know. And then when I got into therapy, you know, I kept saying I was a I was a victim of abuse. I was a victim of abuse and, and um, labeling myself by my diagnosis. And my therapist says, you know, you're a lot more than that. You're a lot more than your diagnosis. You know, yeah. you're a mother, you're a daughter, you're an artist, you're a writer, you're a neighbor, you know. And it just was like I had never even really thought of that because once I started therapy, all I felt like I was a victim. I had been a victim and I still felt victimized, and I didn't see that, you know, I had any other role. Yeah. And that was really important yeah. to find out I was more bad, <laughs> more in my diagnosis. Yeah, and it makes sense. You know, and there's, um, whether the, the familiar role is because of what others have done to us, um, or then how we perpetuate it, you know, and that we kind of do to ourselves. Um, and even there's kind of a, a righteousness. I don't know. It sounds like a strong word, but you know, to say, yeah, I was victimized. This thing happened to me. It was wrong, and of course it was. But that, yeah. you know, there's there's some. At least for me, I know there was some comfort in acknowledging my anger, acknowledging my experience, whereas before I couldn't. Um, yeah. But then I I continued to point out or, you know, highlight the ways that 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 kept showing up in other situations. And um, I was like Mm -hmm. over identifying or over, um, you know, focusing, you know, on that aspect of myself. Yeah. So again, roles can get very confused uh, with abuse, with trauma, um, because in a sense they can become familiar and, uh, and well, I think, you know, like I mentioned, learn. getting that, 
not having any role models, not not having yeah. any role models that that really you know said, hey, you know, you can say no, you know, you you can do what you want to do in life. You don't have to, you know, make sure everybody in the room is happy. Make sure everybody that's in your life is happy. And, you know, then there's no time for you. I mean, you don't know anything different, how you're going to change. And that's why, you know, I think recovery is so important. Um, and, and, you know, good recovery with, with people that are really working on themselves um, and making changes. And, and it's not easy to make changes. I mean, it takes a lot of risks. And, you know, I can look back where I started out, where I am today, and, it's like, you know, it's a miraculous miracle as far as I'm concerned, you know. I have I have thirty six years sober and you know, when I first got in the program I was completely hopeless, you know. I even told my sponsor, I said, I'm one of those alcoholics can't be helped <laughs> She's like, What kind of alcoholic is that? Well, I told her thirty three years before she passed away what kind of alcoholic that was <laughs> But I hung in there, you know. Um yeah. just just because I, I Every time I went, I got a little more hope, you know. And I didn't meet Bill till like 15 years ago. And, you know, he gave me hope that I could tell my story. Cause, because I really yeah. didn't think I could tell my fault abuse story. I was telling my battered woman story, my, you know, being used in systems of prostitution. But that child abuse story, I wasn't going to tell, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know my experiences uh, that with myself and, and others that we have, like, um, layers and, and, and some some things are you know they're bad and we'll talk about them but there's other stuff that's kind of like the bottom floor or the ground floor of uh, mm-hmm. what we're carrying you know what, what has really been keeping us um kind of limited or imprisoned in a sense um yeah but so so those things um boundaries authorities roles and roles I mean, everything is determined really or should be led, guided by the task, right? And so the task for us, like, why are we here? To be whole, to be healthy, right? to help others in, you know, in good ways. Um, so as when we're in that victim place, um, our boundaries are going to look way different than if we're in a place more of, you know, like being more... Uh, Call it healed or healing, mm-hmm. you know, because the victim plays well, start, you, around um, The book is called, um, the, the one workbook is uh, Healing the Sexually Abused Heart. So in the beginning of the book, do you, um, um, for the uh, survivors, survivors and supporters, do you, um, how do you kind of start out? Do you start by identifying, like, what the, what the issues are? Um, how, how does the book kind of start? Well, without you know, giving the whole thing away. Read it. No, no. Yeah. It really, it, it starts um, saying, okay, there's there's stuff that's happened to us. Like, there is an experience of being victimized, right? And And so we look at, so what happened? You know, how did... We cope as children, you know, and, um, you know, and kind of just acknowledging without judgment that we may have the experience of like being in an emotional emergency room, right? This is what victims experience, right? And um, 
And well, then, I think a lot of people feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are pretty far in their healing and, and people that are just, you know, recognizing, maybe remembering for the first time, um, get told a lot of times, you know, hurry up, hurry up. You know, you shouldn't be there. <laughs> you know, yeah. you should be past that. Yeah. You know, 60 years old, what are you doing? You know, and the other person might not realize that, you know, it was three months ago that they even remembered they were abused, you know. So I just oh, yeah. tell people everybody's journey is at a different place, and everybody, you know, um, you can't just, like, rush through it. Um, you know, yeah. so, well, of course, we'd all rather be in a better place than we're at emotionally or, you know, of course. recovery, whatever. You know, and so I a lot of times like to focus because a lot of people that tune in here are newly to, um, just just finding out they've been abused and they go look on the Internet, you know, adult children, you know, child abuse and, and NASCA pops up. So they are brand yeah. new to them. And, and I think we yeah. need to really be to them um, because there is, aren't a lot of places to go when you're first starting out to get help, you know. Yeah, and, and it's real important for them to have a place to be able to talk about that, especially if they have never told anybody before. And that's what yeah. you know the peer support group really does do. That we're there, and either people could come on and they don't have to put their face on there. You know, you could just have a blank screen if you want, and your f- yeah. phone. My phone comes up velvet. You know, <laughs> people think my name's velvet, but that's just the name of my phone. You yeah. know. But you have choices, and you don't even have to talk if you don't want. You could just listen, and you know, like you said, just just different options. You know, on what your boundaries are, what you feel comfortable with. And so, I just want to, you know, always make sure people know that we have a lot of resources. Whether you're um, a, a victim, a survivor, um, you're a professional, you're a parent, there there are just places for everything. If you're an advocate. If you want to join NASCA, there are just so many, you know, places to go on that website. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, we have special guests on the show all the time. Like I said, it's five nights a week. And uh, um, in any of these, these are all of the archived shows. So if people hear a show and want to pass on, you know, just the scan number, again, is 3119. And um, I'll let you get back to what you're talking about. But I just want to make sure that for the newcomer, we are here, we care, and we've been in that spot too. You know, those of us who have been in NAFTA for a while, we've been there. And you could call anybody that's under the ambassadors. All our phone numbers are on there. And you can reach out, yeah. you know, when you need to because we're here. I want to make sure that's known. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's really good to let people know what's available and um, you know what you mentioned about like some people are just coming to terms with just you know realizing something that that, uh, happened a while ago and that's normal and that's um, in in the workbook you know I start off with uh, you know victims you know like what happened and and how does this stuff happen and and then what's the impact right just to kind of normalize this is happening um, and it's not a judgment. It makes sense. Um, but then uh, there's what can you do? Because we always have some res- responsibility. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the next well, chapter I think is a lot survivors. Of people don't, don't think there's anything past that. You know, they don't, like I yeah. said, when I walked into, you know, AA 36 years ago, 
you know, I walked in totally hopeless. And, and I meet people in AA now, and, you know, I might share, you know, I'm a survivor of child abuse or something, kind of in drift, you know, when I'm talking. And I have people coming up to me afterwards and say, I can't believe you're talking about that. Nobody's talking about that. I think that's why I keep going out. But I feel comfortable talking to you, and then all of a sudden, you know, they say, you're the first person I've ever told. 40, 50 years yeah. old, 10, 15, 20 years sobriety, some of them. Some of them six months. Yeah. Some have been in treatment 11 times. And they're like, but I've never got to talk about this. And yeah. it just, it blows me away that everybody's like, oh, it's everywhere. And, but there are people that still have nobody to talk to yet or aren't able to come to terms with it. Yeah. And I'm imagining that, you know, because you've done some good work, uh, that you're somebody who others experience is safe, you know, because we don't, mm-hmm. it, it's, we might, I did, just kind of blurt out stuff when I was in, just really new and like, oh, my God, this all this stuff has happened. It was 30 years or 40 years ago, but all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's raw, and I'm just like kind of telling anybody, and oh, yeah. um, that wasn't safe. I used to you call know, it so diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> I used to say, I'm sorry, yeah. I got diarrhea of the mouth once I realized I just bored it off. <laughs> you know, yeah. a whole bunch of stuff to somebody, and... But I have people that do that, and they tell me, you know, I just feel safe with you, and it's it's just such an yeah. honor to me. Yeah. I mean, it kind of blows me away every time it happens that that somebody says I feel safe with you, especially when I hear their yeah. story, you know, where they're coming from. To have somebody say they feel safe is is an honor. Yeah. So that's that's you know, a significant first step is for someone just to acknowledge their experience and let stuff that's been suppressed. Um, you know, come up to consciousness and then, you know, stay in our, take care of ourselves, like basic, you know, good. And that may be a, a whole new thing, you know. What does that mean? You know, um, honoring our experiences and, you know, as much as possible, letting our uh, our uh, bodies, you know, rest. They've absorbed all kinds of stuff and taking good care. But, uh, something, an insight that I had years ago and I thought was, has been just really valuable ever since was that, um, you know, things happened to me. And so uh, I was abused, right? I was abandoned first, basically. And then I was abused. And then I was wrapped with shame. And then I did that to myself and others. You know, I was like abandoning myself, basically, or, or in a sense, abandoning others. Because I was always too busy yeah. and, you know, um, and I was abusive. I, liked it. I was competitive with colleagues on a professional level. You know, I was a jerk, I think. And um, I thought I was just being the smartest guy in the room or doing, you know, being critical in the way that I should. But with family members, our own kids, just demanding kind of that they do more than me, that somehow they become superhuman. Um, yeah. And, and that wrapped others with shame. You know, and, and then I, so I had to acknowledge that and kind of, Try to reverse that with myself as well as with others. You know, be present to myself. That's what I meant when it, taking care of ourselves. Just be present and acknowledge mm-hmm. uh, our goodness instead of um, being abusive. You know, just right. be, be caring well, I didn't want to self-harm, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me a long time in therapy to, um, to realize, like you said, you know, it's almost like, you know, looking in the mirror and, and kind of reflecting on stuff. But I was in crisis so much of my life that I really never had time. 
I never gave myself time to just sit with myself and, and be in touch with my body, be in touch with, you know, what do I really want out of life? And like you said, you know, what am I here for kind of stuff? And it was the basic survival, you know, and yeah. uh, just not even being in touch with my body to know that, you know, to go get to go to the doctor when I was feeling not feeling good, I would wait till it got to the point where, you know, I needed surgery, you know, yeah. where I just yeah. you know, missed all the telltale signs because I wasn't in touch with what was going on. And the same thing happens physically and emotionally. I'll just push myself, push yeah. myself, and then I'll and I go, wait a minute, why am I so exhausted? And then I can look back and see. And so now recently I've been trying to put in times of relaxation and taking breaks, yeah. you know, and, and that yeah. can be really good for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the ways when we're in that victim place, you know, we're, we're just on overload and, you know, it's not – we don't really have much of a plan. It's just everything that's happening to us. But then you describe kind of that survivor mode. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a step towards being more whole. Um, but I think it's still um, it's a big challenge. You know, mm-hmm. we're just beginning to allow ourselves um, to to take care of ourselves, to consider being safe, you know, to... To make a plan, like you said, to uh, to take care of yourself, you know, to make a plan to re- relax, to use resources that are available you know, to help us. Um, I mean, in fact, in the in the workbook in that section about survivors, um, I have a thing called the ABCs towards health. Um, it's just with every letter, I just kind of have like something that would be. You know, worth considering because in survivors we may not consider like okay let me do something proactive that's good for me um, and so some of those I mentioned you know like I'll just mention a few right. A allow yourself time to mourn and feel and understand what happened to you or ask for help I mean, it's a huge thing I didn't mm-hmm. ask for help for a long long time um, right be become a friend to yourself like what you know i was always uh-huh. like pushing myself to present yeah. as you know indestructible or you know like nothing wrong and you know, uh-huh. i was not being good you know but what i what i tell people is that you know if if you're struggling or whatever think of if somebody else came to you with that same issue or problem or whatever and and just think, what would you tell them? Because a lot of times yeah. we are really good at helping other people and really bad at helping ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that way too, boy. If somebody was, you know, having a rough day or whatever, what would I tell them? Why can't I tell myself yeah. that? You know, and I and I started yeah. doing that, and things got a lot better. Yeah. So I think that survivor places is, is about just starting to consider these things. You know, not necessarily out doing them yet, but you know, but like simple things. You know, uh, consider being safe. Um, I, I had a friend tell me one time um, she had some therapy session. And all this stuff was coming up, and and the therapist said, "Are you safe to go home?" And she said, "Sure." And ended up like. Um, driving home and nearly running, you know, driving off the road, had this overwhelm, and, and she realized, like, 
I have no idea what safe is, you know. No. And no. So that's just. Well, that's why you ask yourself, what does safe you look like? What does being safe look like? You know, yeah. what would safe look like to you? Yeah. Yeah. Important. Um, yeah, and, and so there's some basic things that we can start in the survivor place that uh, we probably you know hadn't considered. At least I hadn't considered. Um, you know, one is Q, quit doing for other people what they can do for themselves. You know, back to the the, the boundaries or the roles that we take up. Um, R, reach out to others in ways that are safe and relax. Something you said. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, I know one thing when people did things for me that I could do for myself, it, it just gave me the idea that I couldn't do it myself. Because they yeah. were like reinforcing that, you know, and and so that's the other end of the coin, you know. Yeah, you might want to help somebody because it looks like they're struggling, but you know that's a lot of times just their process to get yeah. to their next step, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I really appreciate that that insight, and uh, you know when we are overwhelmed, when there's trauma, when there's abuse. You know, people, a lot of things kind of happen, like people don't feel safe, right? They don't know who to trust. They don't have a sense of voice or choice or they feel powerless. And and so the reverse is so important. Of course, people need to feel safe. And so you're a safe person for others. They can trust you and um, they can make choices, right? So nobody's telling them what to do. They need to, because that's empowering. That helps them to get in touch with their power. And, and if it's a bad choice, they learn. You know, that's the idea. So I really appreciate that, that, you know, even in an effort to uh, do for someone, um, that may not be empowering. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so that's the... Yeah. And uh, I know that... Um, I work I work with this lady too and she said that um, you know there are a lot of pe- there are different people that are at like different levels and she kind of figures out you know do I think this person can do those steps where there's other people that just cannot do some things that seem very simple you know like I had workers that would come over and, and I just needed them there to pick up the phone and, and make a doctor appointment, you know, or make a therapy appointment mm. or whatever. I needed them to sit and go through the steps with me because that's how mm. I couldn't do it, you know. And, and now I yeah. have the commercial. And we do different things, you know. I'm at a different level then, you know. And so yeah. we got to kind of figure out what level people are If we're, you know, helping people, I mean, um, you know, um, it's important. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's important to to notice, you know, when we're on overload because that impacts how we can manage things and, you know, do simple things. Even. Um, right. So that's that's an important thing, you know, and, and in those cases, yeah, it's, it's helpful to ask for help or let others help. But, you know, uh-huh. that self-management, is, of course, is the... Uh, the well, ideal, I always thought I'd you know, my own because as growing up, if I didn't do it, it never got done, you know. And mm-hmm. and then I got to a point where I wanted to be rescued. 
and nobody was coming to rescue me. And then I realized I had to rescue myself because <laughs> I'm really mm. the only one that knows what I need, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I just expect, I don't know, people to read my mind or knock on my door and, you know, <laughs> help me. <laughs> help me, help me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's back to, you know, authority, like not in a bad way, not um, authoritarian, but just we have agency. And when we're abused and overwhelmed, we can kind of lose that and end up kind of looking to others to take care of things that are us. Uh-huh. And, and so it's a real, it's a, it's a hard thing to be responsible for us. Right. It's easier easier to blame someone else for something uh-huh. that you don't like. Yeah. Well, I like yeah. letting so other people's that... decisions for me, too, because, you know, I was locked up in a state psychiatric hospital, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they made all your decisions. And when I got out there, mm-hmm. it was really hard to make basic decisions, you know. Um, yeah. That's why I got workers, you know, and it was really hard to get them because I felt so much shame that I needed them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like, there's there's a time for intervention where, you know, somebody's in the emergency room. They, but then there's a time for, okay, now I've got to work with someone to learn how to, you know, work rehabilitation. my own self. Yeah, rehabilitation. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, uh-huh. like, now I'm responsible. Nobody else is planning a menu or giving me a schedule, so I'm responsible. Yep. That's the, I call that the survivor-thriver place. That's Chapter 3, you know, uh-huh. where, you know, we're, we realize that, uh, you know, we're responsible for us, you know, and for what we say and what we do and how we take things and um, yeah, which is huge. I know, it's I'm holding on to it. You know, it was really hard to learn that, you know, I have no control over people, places, and things, you know. And that was, mm-hmm. like, really the hard reality that only have power over myself and my emotions and my actions, you know. And it was mm-hmm. like, well, now what, you know, because, like, I have no control of people, places, and things. What exactly am I going to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, because I, I was busy doing, <laughs> trying yeah. to control everything, yeah. you know. And yeah. and really, you know, looking at that, I had to, you know, because I still, you know, I've been in recovery. I'm 61 now, and the first time I was ever hospitalized was when I was 21, and I had just escaped from my biological father, and that was a lot of my shame was I didn't get away till I was 21, you know. And I guess everybody kind of put on me, I'm a, I hit magical age of 18, and I should have had all this knowledge, and... You know, I just kept saying, well, I must have been standing in the wrong place because it never got dropped on me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it just didn't, you know, he was, he had pornography and you know, all, all the stuff that he was, you know, using against me and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, um, you know, got into the psychiatric ward. And I didn't feel locked in. I felt like he was locked out and he couldn't get me. And they pretty much had mm-hmm. pushed me out the door. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't want to mm-hmm. leave. I felt safe. You know, yeah. Um, so first time my whole entire life, and and I just really did not want to leave. And I yeah. was learning a lot. But yeah, when I yeah. when I you know 
kept saying I was a victim, I was a victim, and then my, my therapist told me I was a survivor. I mean, that was a bridge that was a long way to go to figure out that I wasn't a victim and I was a survivor, you know, that I was out of that because my mentality yeah. still was back there. Yeah. Well, so, you know, in the section, I'm going to link that to the section in, in Chapter 3, which is about what I'm calling Survivor Thrivers. And, and I'm hoping that this is for maybe somebody who's early in their own kind of recovery, um, just to differentiate between like a victim kind of mentality or a survivor mentality and a survivor thriver. And I say that with the risk of like, this is true, this is the truth. This is a, a lens, this is a perspective for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, so, so I take these different um, kinds of sayings, you know, like one is um, give people more than they expect and do it cheerfully. Well, so that's like a high bar, right? You know, from a victim place, I don't, for me, it's not about giving. I like, I would steal. You know, if I'm hungry, if I don't have enough, whether material or you know, emotional, I'm kind of stealing. Um, a survivor place is like kind of hoarding, you know, like what's in it for me. I'm going to give, but it's because that's, so I'm going to get this out of it. Um, traditional right. reaction. And then the survivor strivers and saying, well, maybe it's more like giving. Yeah. But, you know, only to those we like. And then maybe that more expansive high bar is give people more than they expect and do it cheerfully. So it's not just yeah. people who we like. Um, right. And this idea of uh, there's an saying or advice, like, don't believe all you hear or spend all you have or sleep all you want. Um, so a victim, well, often we, we have kind of addictive lives or you know, self-destructive or other destructive life. So uh-huh. that doesn't make sense, you know, don't believe all you hear, spend all you have. Um, yeah. Survivors might have an ex- excessive lifestyle, you know, like consuming a lot, you know, um, and kind of just buying what others are selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the survivor thriver is more flexible. You know, we select things that are more satisfying. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that high bar, okay, we can really now discern. You know, we're not going to believe everything we hear. We're not going to spend everything we have. We have some boundaries. We have some you know, uh, self-care. So even we could sleep mm-hmm. all day. You know, we make choices so we can accomplish um, so there I mean this is just uh, a way of thinking about you know it's not a linear process but we we're different you said you're so different now than 31 years ago oh, yeah. like it's a miracle that's, I'm, I'm living a life that I never could have ever dreamed of yeah yeah Amy, are you um, still there with us do you, you have any questions or comments I am here with you, and I'm very much enjoying your conversation. Um, I, I wrote down a couple of things, and but the one I felt like commenting on was when, when Jaime said we need to take time to mourn. It's one of the things we need to take time for ourselves to do. And that's something that I have been doing. I've been allowing 
myself to kind of wool gather and just let my mind be free and wander. And memories are coming to me, sad memories are coming to me, and I've been mourning them and mourning the poor kid that I was. You know, uh-huh. sad for that kid. Yeah. Yeah, I used yeah. to have a button that I it said, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. And I can't tell you how many people wanted that button. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, no, I still need it. <laughs> I just keep reminding myself, you know, that, that I could have a happy childhood. And when I first started recovery, I kept seeing this little girl that was like four years old, and she was just, re- every time I shut my eyes, she was reaching out and just screaming, help me, help me, help me. And one day I just sat up in bed, and I just put my arms around my legs and around my, my shoulders, you know. And I just said, I'm so sorry I left you. I'll never leave you again. And it stopped. Mm. But it was just mm. holding that little child, you know. And I don't know how long I did that for, but, you know, did a little bit of rocking. And, you know, it's like talking to that little child and just say, I'm not going to leave you. I'm here for you, you know. Yeah. How powerful just to acknowledge for ourselves, you know, what we've been through and what uh, that, call it child in us, you know, needs and mm-hmm. to hear and and without judgment you know like these are emotions that come up right? um i know Brene brown she's well she's got a netflix show she's got tons of books she does has all this research about um just the ways that we um need to allow ourselves to feel and to understand how those that's information you know it's something that um it's yeah. because of those the vulnerability and that we sometimes are going to feel sad and, and hurt, and then that allows us on the other side to feel joy as well. Um, right. So, yeah, that morning. Well, I don't remember between these years and that years, but I know some stuff, bad stuff happened because I got a few flashes, you know. And then as yeah. they go and start, you know, talking about a little bit, you know, and get through that, then a little bit more comes up, you know, a little bit more. And then you might be, you know, way ahead. I would get, feel like I was really doing well, and some memory would pop back up. And I'd feel like I took about 10 steps backwards, you know. But really, I was going forward, you know. I, I just was having flashbacks and panic attacks and memories and this and that. And I told my therapist, I said, oh, my God, I'm doing worse. She said, no, actually, you're doing better, you know. Because yeah. your your mind you're letting you remember, and you know it's it's your time to remember, and and I'm like, um, I don't think I want to do this, you know, and, but the process has already started, so there's like no putting brakes on it. But you know when I when I turned um, when I was uh, let's see I was um, 23 or 24, I ended up in a better woman's shelter, and then I started speaking out, and I changed my name because my biological father was still alive, and I didn't want him finding me because I was still in hiding. And so I changed my name to Victoria Kelly, and uh, I got the name out of a Christian name book. Victoria means victorious, and Ruth was mm-hmm. my middle name, which means spirit. And then I picked, the, I kept that, and I kept, and I changed my last name to Kelly, which means warrior. So it was Victorious Spirit Warrior. Mm. And at that time, I didn't feel like a Victorious Spirit Warrior. But I'm 61, mm. and I feel like it today. <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. I wanted for mm. my life, you know, and, and that's what I have today. And, you know, I can look back and see the 
all the changes, and, and there were days I didn't think I was going to make through it, you know. And yeah. and I really thought there was, like, these definite lines of, like, healing, like you say, you know, victim, survivor, to thriver, or whatever, but there's so much gray in there, <laughs> you know. There's no, yeah. there's no black button where you cross over to the next phase, you know. And, and you yeah. know, I thought I was going backwards, but I was really going forward. You know, every day is a, a day forward, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, this friend sent me a, a uh, just a text with this picture. I guess it's a, uh-huh. I don't know what it is, a meme. But it, it has, uh, it says, treat emotions like visitors who are just passing through. Right? You know, just to allow the stuff to come up as, you know, that when we're in a place that can actually uh, face more or feel more, that's a good thing, even though it may feel like, oh no, I'm going backwards. It's, um, I mean, I would, I would experience it years back as like just suppressing everything, and then when stuff would come up, it would be anger because um, I couldn't just acknowledge the the hurt side, and so it would suppress it back. I mean, it's messy when stuff comes up, and yeah, um, it did a good job for a long time of just keeping things bottled up, but. It, it was not good in any way, physically, emotionally. Right. At some point, stuff got to come out. So, yeah. that, that he realized that, that he had hurt under his anger, and I told him, I have anger under my hurt. Because mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. I hurt, hurt, hurt all the time, but I had never gotten in touch with my anger. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a ladylike thing to do. <laughs> or a girl thing to do with being yeah. angry. You know, I never had my brother, yeah. so it was okay to be angry. But it wasn't okay to say I'm vulnerable or I hurt or, you know. So it was very interesting to me that there were those, you know, like two different opposites of uh, yeah. of that. Yeah, but to allow ourselves to, uh, you know, to be in touch, to be connected with ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in the last part of the, the workbook, the, you know, First chapter is victims, second is survivors, and survivor thrivers. In the area that I'm calling thrivers, and it's not linear, um, I I list you know the the promises you know from twelve steps. Yep. Because that idea that you know, yeah, wholeness is possible. You know, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We'll not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. So, I mean, Anna, you're talking about mourning. I mean. There's something of acknowledging our our loss uh, that happens first, and that's terrible. And then that allows us to recognize what is left, you know, and then what our possibilities are. And we can learn and we grow, um, however we go through that process. Um, But then it allows us, yeah, to not regret the past, to to see where we've grown, Mm-hmm. That idea of, you know, comprehend the word serenity. Like, yeah, I'm not always, you know, in the serenity piece, but I'm certainly not in the, you know, overwhelmed victim mm-hmm. place um, like I used to be. I'm certainly not in the survivor kind of reactionary place. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I faced stressful things now, and, and that allows me to When I first got to, to go heard that word serenity, I had no concept of what that even meant. You know, mm-hmm. to, to have serenity. I, you know, 
I'd say the serenity prayer and I'd read the promises and this and that, but I did not have a clue what serenity was, you know? Mm. And, and it's, some, these are learned things I want people to know. These are not, you know, um, uh, these are learned things and that's why I like workbooks because you can really, you know, hopefully you have a lot of room to write because, um, I know a lot of mm-hmm. things will come up, um, Mm-hmm. Like I love workbooks. I love worksheets of workbooks and all that stuff. You know, matter of fact, go mm-hmm. to therapy. You got worksheets? <laughs> so I want to work on yeah. something during the week. <laughs> um, because I, I just really love workbooks. Um, they really yeah. make you reflect, you know, mm-hmm. but, but it's got to be something, you know, that, that you're willing to do. And it's, you know, um, it can, it can be difficult. And I suggest that everybody has some sort of support. You know, um, oh, yeah. like, you know, there's a big book of AA and, you know, they suggest that you go through the book with, with a sponsor, you know, because mm-hmm. some of it is just, you just don't comprehend it. Um, mm-hmm. And somebody that's been there and been through that book can explain it to you, you know, and the promises, I just, I mean, I used to read that once in a while and I would cry through the whole thing. And at the very end, I would say, if just one of these come through in my life. My life would be completely different. And I can tell you today, mm-hmm. every one of those promises has come true. And I, like I said, mm-hmm. I could have never imagined it, ever. Mm-hmm. I would cry when I read them because I was so sad that I didn't think those things would ever happen for me. Maybe yeah. they happened for everybody else in the room, you know. But, but I didn't even have hope they would happen for me. You know, I didn't even have an inkling of belief that they would. It's yeah. a long process. I agree. And uh, I think it's, I don't think time heals everything. I think time plus uh, a support uh, in some way, like a community or uh-huh. you know, a network of people. Um, and that makes it possible. Right. And that's why I was thinking the, the value of like, this online community you mentioned you know, people can call in and, and someone will yeah. be available um, to be acknowledged you know, to be uh, heard and know that yeah it's not a judgment things have happened to us mm-hmm. and they've had an impact on us and then yeah that's not our whole self well, I think outside the box you know it's it's not only for individuals, you know, to like doing a lot of reflecting because they're not hustling, bustling all over the place, you know, they're doing a lot of uh, reflection, but, but they've got the time to go look up and say, boy, I, maybe I need a group for adult survivors of child abuse, or boy, I'd like to find some more information about, you know, this or that condition I have or whatever, you know, um, and it's given, you know, professionals, you know, pushing them to think outside the box by starting support groups online because people can't come in, mm-hmm. doctor's appointments mm-hmm. online because people can't come in, you know, education online. Um, it's it's really, you know, um, there are some positives that have come out of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to isolate for a while. And the first thing I thought when they said that, you know, people couldn't go out anymore, um, I didn't think, oh, my God, I can't go to the grocery store or something like that. My first thought was, what about those kids that are trapped in those homes? Mm-hmm. Now they can't even get out safe to school or play in the yard, you know what I mean, with the neighbor kids mm-hmm. or anything. That was my first concern with the children and, and uh, adults that were in abusive relationships. 
mm-hmm. and and that was my first. And then sure enough, you know, now they're saying that the statistics were just going through the roof with child abuse and in uh, uh, relationship abuse and uh, you know things of that sort. But yeah. um, but but there's been you know there's been a lot of a lot more talk um, because people are sitting online um, with with uh, you know. Um, it just blows me away that people could just, you know, get online and people from all over the world could come to NASCA as a support group. You know, mm. some people might be there 30 in the morning while other people are there at 730 at night, but it's the same time, you know, every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, it to me is just a total miracle that, that we can connect this way and have a blood duck radio show and have, you know, all these resources that just weren't available. You know, when when I was, you know, first starting out when I was 21, you know, that was 40 years ago, you know, like like my grand, granddaughter who's 13. So where are my mom's pictures when she was little on Facebook, which was four years old, asked me, you know, and I said, mm-hmm. oh, honey, they didn't have Facebook. Boy, did I yeah. get a look like, what? <laughs> yeah. <And> Facebook? <laughs> and that, and unconceivable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's real uh, value in our experiences and you know living in the time that we are now. That younger people have uh, they need guidance, they need some wisdom. Yeah, um, they otherwise by I'm being. I, I was just daughter, listening to this. My granddaughter goes on the internet. My my daughter is really really monitors and and talks to my mm-hmm. granddaughter about you know. Uh, about the issues, you know, and she said mm-hmm. one time, well, what if a 14-year-old boy was on there and, like, trying to, you know, chat you up or whatever, you know, um, um, who would you be talking to? And she goes, some 65-year-old fat, yeah. sweaty man. And she goes, <laughs> my daughter's <was> good, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not that everybody that's on there is that, you know, but, but just, like, she's trying to make my my granddaughter aware, you know, that yeah. that it's not always the picture you see on there or the person you're going to go meet at the mall. It's not always, you know, the person that might be chatting you up online. Sure. There's, it reminds me of a, a book I'm, I'm listening to right now, uh, or you can read it, uh, by Gabor Mate, you know, the Canadian physician. He's really great. Um, it's called the, the Myth of Normal. And... He really does a, a good job of um, just talking about how trauma impacts us uh, in our in our brains, of course, and as well as in our behaviors. And um, but he in this last part I was listening to, he's talking about how um, kids growing up have so much screen time; it, it does impact their thinking, and, and uh, they yep. need wisdom from. Uh, people who have a different experience, a lot more life experience um, right. to realize that uh, they, uh, they will sometimes be disappointed. You know, uh, they will, not everything is like on the screen. You know, not, not everything right. is convenient. Um, and for people mm-hmm. who've healed, done some work, um, that's, that's so powerful. I mean, that's one of those, uh, call it promises, you know, no matter how far down the scale yeah. you've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. Uh, and so we're not good. And back to Annie, I mean, we don't often allow ourselves time to mourn. 
to to feel. Uh, right. Grief is what we do individually, and mourning is you know when that's shared. And I think that's uh, the power of groups or certain even rituals that um, that allows us then to uh, be a little bit lighter and have a little bit more space to a little bit more of, of who we are and how we've grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my um, granddaughter was coming over here and wanted to be on you know the phone all the time and constantly, constantly, and so I'm like, put the phone down and you know do this with grandma and and so it was just a struggle because she wanted to be on the phone all the time and I wanted her to do you know like let's make cookies or let's do this that the other thing you know let's learn to do this or that together or whatever. And and it was just a constant struggle for the night. So how about if you come over and we compromise and you can have some time on, you know, do your phone thing and for a certain amount of time and then we'll do something I want to do for a certain amount of time and then we'll do something you want, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's been working out really well. Um, you know, I said because, you know, when I get together I don't get to see you that much. I'd like to spend time with you and not just watch you play on your phone, you know, well, grandma, you know, and it's like, well, look, you know, and so it was, it was kind of a power struggle there until I just thought, well, it's not really fair for me because that's like their, you know, reality, the kid's reality, you know, I mean, if, if I was 13 years old and I had a phone and I could do all that stuff on it, you bet I'd be doing it, you know, and, you know, and and we didn't have that when I was 13 years old, so we had to do other stuff, you know. But but a lot of that stuff I enjoy doing, and I and I'd like my granddaughter to experience it too, you know. And and lose some, oh, yeah. you know, maybe some wisdom from me besides, you know, what they're learning on uh, um, YouTube or um, playing some game that you just I don't know, build some little things that you go around it, you know, mazes or something. I'm not quite sure yeah. what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like I mean you're offering a healthy, a real connection, and mm-hmm. so that's huge. It's when we're overwhelmed, experiencing some kind of abuse trauma, we often disconnect. Um, yeah. So what a gift, you know, to have be to be present is not a small thing. Well, the first time I went, they had a grandparents' day at school, and and uh, Luca had just learned to start writing, you know. And uh, um, so they had this thing, and it was to fill in the blank, and it was a heart, and then Luca drew a picture of me in there, you know. And uh, it was really cute in pencil. It was all in pencil, and then it it had this saying. It said, my grandma is special to me because, and then it had, I don't know, a couple lines. And, and she wrote, my grandma is special to me because she always sees the best in me. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I just still hits my heart, you know, that that she would write that down, and that made me feel really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I appreciate you know the examples of being able to be the kind of parent that we didn't have, you know, like be present and loving in a way that we didn't have. And I think that's yeah. there's an, an archetype called the wounded healer. I don't know if you know the story. Um, it's a Greek god, Chiron, who was hit with a poison arrow, and so he's suffering, you know, eternally because the Greek gods. And and then at some point, 
looks and sees that there's another God suffering. Right? And yeah. and then going over to, to like try to help, all of a sudden not just focusing on self, helping others. Mm-hmm. There's there was some kind of you know healing that that experience, that person experienced. So it was a, being a wounded healer. You know, there's something yeah. uh, in us that, that can be useful, not in a in a way that we sacrifice ourselves, you know, at our own cost, but the way that we become more mm-hmm. compassionate. And yeah. That's what well, I was, you know, you. I had really, really bad Christmases because I grew up in an alcoholic family and, you know, abuse and stuff. And, you know, but, but when I was going through therapy and stuff, you know, and, and Christmas was coming along and I started, I was just having all these memories and I was just feeling hurt and everything. But I kept telling myself, I got to look through the eyes of my children and I'd take them out to look at lights, and they'd be, like, all excited about the lights and all excited about Santa, and, mm. you know, to just try to look through their eyes, you know, and instead of the eyes that I had to look through, you know, and the stuff that I had to go through, I, I really went out of the way, to, you know, not material, because I didn't have material money, you know, but yeah. but just, you know, out of my way to try to make their holidays good ones, you know, and, and not stay in my pain. That that was yeah. really, really a lot of work, but but my kids look back and they could say that they had good holidays or that their mom was there for them, you know. Hmm. And that you know, I I placed my kids in permanent foster care um, when they were in their teens, and uh, I don't even know if my son was in his teens yet. And that was the hardest thing I ever did, but the best thing I ever did. I you know, I wasn't hmm. the mom I wanted to be in, a, and I wasn't the mom that they deserved you know, to have. And uh, I stayed in their lives, but but they needed stability. And I was in not a psych wards, and they had no stability. They were in not a foster care or breath care or whatever. And and it just wasn't fair for them. And I had to make a really hard decision. Um, it was like, oh, they tortured a kid. I'm like, no, no, no. I asked them to help me <laughs> because yeah. I, I knew I was doing the job I wanted to do, you know, I mean, I still was, you know, but I, but I couldn't be there for the amount of, you know, need they had. And I, I realized that the more I realized what I didn't get, the more I realized what I wasn't able to give them. And I wanted them to be yeah. stable. And then when I started, you know, getting better and stuff, people like, Oh, I'm going to get kids. That's, and my kids are just fine where they're at. And, I got labeled a bad parent because I wasn't going to try to fight for my kids back. And and I said, my kids are doing great where they're at. You know, they're succeeding. They would have never even graduated from high school, either one of them. You know, and they both graduated and they got good jobs and they're healthy and stable. And, you know, um, they wouldn't be where they are today. My son would probably be flipping hamburgers and now he's, flying all over and he's got a real fancy job and driving a Tesla and just got me a house. <laughs> you know, wow. none of that. He, you know, like I said, he'd probably be still flipping. He'd probably be flipping hamburgers. He's 37 years old and my daughter's 40 and I go over to her house and watch how she is with my granddaughter. I have tears in my eyes so many times because she is just so there for her child, you know. It just it mm. just pulls me away. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. So, 
is living. Annie, you still with and, us? And yeah. Do you have any comments? I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. I don't really have any comments. No, I've just been listening. Do you have any questions that even come up that that you'd like um, oh. explanation or any kind of feelings that you have about what we're talking about? I would like to talk about what things we can do to make ourselves feel safe. Hmm. What well, can we do? Because I don't always feel safe. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I was just looking in the, in the workbook, actually, at this blessing that uh, someone gave me one time. Um, and it's all about being safe. Um, but I think you may be asking something more kind of concrete um, and things we can do. Um, well, I... I have, uh, for example, you know, when when someone asks a question, uh, you don't want to answer. You know, I'm talking about not knowing. Are we safe? We can ask. You know, why do you want to know? Um, we can dialogue to to learn. I mean, we can ask, why do you want to know? And like not answer the question, you don't have to, and you know, set up that kind of boundary. But then we can also uh, dialogue to understand, you know, to learn, actually, and and have the experience of engaging with some something like that, a question. Um, it's, well, I have an example. When I first started therapy, my therapist said, this is your story. And you only have to share it with who you want, when you want. And that really made me feel safe to just have somebody tell mm-hmm. me that. You know, mm-hmm. that in, in that sense that I, you know, relate to other things too. I look around my environment, say my bedroom, you know, what, you know, what would make me feel safe? Let's see, put curtains on my windows, you know, have a door that locks. You know, I look somebody else. Mm-hmm. If I want to lock it, I don't lock it. But I've got that there if I feel I need to, you know. Um, just, like, look around your environment and what would make you feel comfortable, you know. Maybe go out and get a nice, cozy blanket that you just wrap around yourself, you know, and, and just comfort mm-hmm. yourself or a fuzzy pillow or a stuffed animal or, you know, something that you just see that you go, well, you know, that would really make me happy, you know, or that would really make me, you know, that's something I wish I would have had it with when I was a kid when I was, you know. But what I was like when I was a kid when I was really feeling scared, you know. I have mm-hmm. I have a service animal, you know. My dog, and, you know, he he makes me feel safe. I mean, he's a little bit shy, <laughs> 15 pounds, but I feel safe with him. You know, it's not, it's not like he's a great big Doberman that's going to bark at somebody. <laughs> but he still makes me feel safe. You know, I, I can go out places when I'm feeling vulnerable or I'm feeling, you know, anxious about going, um, you know, to the store or to the therapist or whatever. You know, if I'm anxious about going, I'll bring him. And and I don't always bring him, but I do sometimes. 
You know, I used to bring him everywhere all the time when I first got him because it was the only time that I could really leave my house, you know. And I've had him over mm-hmm. two years. But I had a fight for him because the assisted living tried to kick me out for having him. And I had to fight to the nail and get just turning and everything else. It was a struggle. And one of those staff was kicked him in the head. And they were screaming at me and they were screaming at him. And they were in my apartment screaming. And I did not feel safe, you know. But I don't have, I'm, I'm living with somebody that I totally feel safe with. You know, I could say, you know, I'm going to just go downstairs in my room and read a book or whatever. And there's no why you're doing that or coming down and checking on me or, you know what I mean? It's, it's just boundaries and respect and having people in your life that are going to respect you. And if they're not, hmm. you know, maybe I I feel when I get out of a relationship that's unhealthy, I have more room in my life to develop healthy relationships. So I'm that's right. it's the same with alcohol. The alcohol wasn't helping me. You know, people go, how could you have been homeless and not drink because I, you're in such a desperate situation and it was there or whatever. And I says, you know, drinking never made anything better. Matter of fact, it always made things worse, you know. And, and just getting through those difficult moments without using, you know, wasn't easy. And, and like you were talking about, about, you know, the overdoing everything, you know, compulsive gambling, compulsive shopping, compulsive, anything that mm-hmm. I could overdo, I did. <laughs> I, I was never an overeater, but I was undereater. You know what I mean? So it's like just because I didn't, you know, overeat didn't mean that I didn't overdo not eating. <laughs> you know, but anything I do to any extreme, I was in for it. You know. <laughs> So now just balancing out my life, and that helps me feel safe, you know. Just going, what do I need? Do I need to, you know, if I need, you know, a medication or if I if I need, you know, to go outside and go for a walk and, you know, just things like that. Just what's going to make you happy to make you feel safe? Yeah. You know, yeah, one thing that are, makes think, me feel... Oh, I was just going to say, my, my my burglar alarm, when I put that in, I felt so much safer. I just feel like mm-hmm. I can sit in my house and nobody can come and get me now. Mm-hmm. And so just a thought for people out there who feel scared of a burglar alarm. It wasn't very expensive, really. Um, yeah. And another another thing I do, and I'll see if I forgot it. And yeah, I forgot the other thing. Okay, it'll, it'll have to come back to me. I'm sorry. Mm. Oh, don't be sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's a different all the time. Yeah, there are different physical things that that are helpful. Um, and I remember, and, I remember uh-huh. in the shower, I was abused in the shower, so I've always been afraid to take a shower. I got curtains that you could see through, so nobody mm. can sneak up on you. It took me 60 yeah. years to figure that one out, but that's a good advice. Anybody who's scared in the shower, get a clear curtain. Right. I'm, I'm scared in the bathroom. I'm scared going in the bathroom. Matter of fact, I would not go in the bathroom but one time a day because I was so abused in there that now I leave the door open. I have to leave the door yeah. open if I go to the bathroom. You know, and, and yeah. 
you know, upon my roommate. I'm going down to the bathroom, and he knows I'm leaving the bathroom door open, you know. And and he respects it, you know. He doesn't come down. And, and mm-hmm. you know, then I'll come up right away and say, well, I'm done, you know. Because <laughs> there's rooms down here right by the bathroom, you know. So, you know, but but just this one thing that, you know, I, I can't have the curtain. I can't have the door shut. I can't have none of that because um, I can't breathe. At all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, yeah, my uh, biological body was so controlling that, that I couldn't even go to the bathroom without his permission. I mean, he made me sign a fictional slave contract and controlled everything I did. But the way I sat, the way I talked, the way I looked, the way I, if I went to the bathroom, whatever, he controlled everything. Like that song, every move you make, every breath you take, I'm watching you, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was. Well, you know, I, I appreciate it. We, ha- we have these um, associations and things that trigger us, um, and that's not you know, rational. It's, it's just in ourselves that um, there are different ways of processing those and um, having them not have the same strength. Um, and, and that's what the traumatic incident reduction sessions are about, um, that, that people process in a way that no one's given them advice, but they're reconnecting and getting insight. Um, and in a sense, kind of re-triggering those experiences that um, – at the time, they couldn't fully face, but now they can. Right. And they, they go through that process, and um, but it, so it makes sense. Is what I'm saying. That's uh, well. That, that's that's interesting because because uh, a lot of times now I can shut the door, but the whole a lot of the you know before I could do that, a lot of times I would just if I shut the door and I keep telling myself, "You're safe. You're safe. You're in control. Mm. He's not here." You know. Um, yeah. It took me a long time to look people in the eye. It took a long time, you know, to to talk. I couldn't even put three words together. Um, I was scared to death of everything. Every time I moved my body, I was afraid. And it took a long, long time to get over that. You know, mm-hmm. it took a lot of therapy. Yeah. And, a lot, you know, I was on a lot of medications because I was so anxious all the time. I was on hyper, hyper vigilance for just the small noise would just freak me out so bad, and I didn't even know why, you know. And then the memories came, like I said. I didn't even know why I was acting the way I was acting. I just figured I was crazy. And I kept saying I was crazy to everybody. And this one lady told me, you're not crazy. What was done to you was crazy. You react, anybody yeah. would react that way. what you've been through, you know. Yeah. And that was the first time, you know, so I was speaking to some uh, um social workers one time and I said the only thing that's normal is a setting on the washing machine you know setting on normal and and mm-hmm. I don't know if they heard anything else I said but they all leaned down and wrote that down on their paper <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was like, yeah I was like did they even hear anything else they said because I really didn't see them taking a lot of notes that <laughs> mm. <laughs> But it's true, well, everybody says, oh, it's normal, you know, and there is no normal. Yeah. It's, you know, what, what, 
whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, you're doing the best you can. And that's, that's the one thing that, you know, we, we all say the serenity prayer at the end of our, um, of our support group, you know, um, but then, but then we also have another serenity prayer that, that we read that, um, I would like to, um, to read this too. Um, and it goes like this, um, please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly, the courage to forgive myself because I always try my best, and the wisdom to know that I am a good person with a kind heart. Hmm. Very nice. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I'd like We've to got read nine minutes left, so could you mention the names of your book and where we can get them and your website? Thanks. So my website is my name, J-A-I-M-E-R-O-M-O.org, dot org. Um, the book, you know, I'm not selling it actively. It's there may be some copies on Amazon, Healing a Sexually Abuse Heart. Um, I think it's still valuable, even though um, it was written with a specific audience with a specific kind of abuse, sexual abuse in mind, and that was people who had been uh, sexually abused by religious authorities. But there are a lot of things in it that I think still make sense for all kinds of uh, kind of healing journeys. Um, right. And, and what was the third thing? Oh, the, well, so that's the book. There's another book that uh, you've been talking about, um, Normal, you know, The Myth of Normal uh, by Gabor Mate. It's really, really a valuable resource. But I, I'd like to, in the last minute, just read part of this uh, kind of a blessing. It was this person who uh-huh. um, recognized, you know, in me a lot of my uh, kind of combative, you know, self-defending nature. And uh, so I'll, it's very brief, this part, but it, it, I didn't quite get it at the time. I like to hear it, and but I think it's become more and more a part of me, and I, I hope it will become more part of um, all of you and here on the line and, and beyond. Because he said, you're safe. You're safe. You're safe. Safe to be in your power, safe to be free. It's safe to express your power, safe to express your creativity. It's safe to voice your concerns, safe to be a minister, safe to be a representative of God. Imagine that you're coming off of the battlefield. You're safe. You're free. You're no longer a mercenary in somebody's army. This life is your own. It's safe for all these different parts of you, your understanding, your intuition, your power, your spiritual aspects you're a teacher a healer a fighter a soldier a golden child a compassionate being we ask that all these pieces of you be healed we ask that they be allies that they work together and be integrated in your being into your nervous system so that all these diverse skills and talents may work together the war inside is over peace has been declared throughout the land peace has been declared in your heart it's safe to be at peace with yourself by God's grace, I call in peace, peace in your heart, peace in your soul, and all parts of you, peace in your spirit. And wow. You know, that was many years ago. That, you know, there's more to it. But, you know, it just When I look yeah. at that now, I think, wow, that is, uh, there's so much that's true. 
in that. Well, mm-hmm. At the time, it was just, I consider that, okay, that's what you're saying. It kind of makes sense. But just more and more, um, being present to myself, being good to myself, um, being uh, um, proud in a good way, acknowledging it in the same way, seeing that others are as well. They're, they're good. That's what I was going to say. It's one thing, you know, at first we got to accept that for ourselves and then to be able to give that same, um, those same messages to other people, you know. Um, we can't really, like they say, you can't really give away what you don't have, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, able to take that in for yourself and then and then to be able, that really comforted me. So I get to give that to somebody else, you know, and that's what I think NASCA those of us who, you know, um, are part of NASCA, we're, we're out there helping other people, you know, to get what, what we got and let them know there there is hope, you know, and, and there's hope beyond the pain. And I just want everybody yeah. to know that you know, you're a survivor, adult survivor, child abuse, um, there, there is hope for pulling your hopeful, happy life, you know. We got five seconds left, yes, so I'm going to play some music. Thank you, everybody. And, uh, we hope to see you again soon. Everybody's invited back to the panel, and we love to hear Thank all you. the rest of the shows. They're all archived. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Victoria. Okay. Thanks, Tiny. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Everyone. Bye. <laughs> Never know. 